Welcome to the American Citizens Abroad podcast. I'm Michelle, and today I'm chatting with Linda Mueller, a certified life coach and founder of the Expat Partner Coach LLC. Welcome, Linda. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Michelle. Tell us a little bit about yourself and about your own expat experience. How many countries have you lived in? Well, I've lived in three different countries as an adult, as I like to say. So we lived in Japan twice, the United Arab Emirates, and then also the United Kingdom. I also lived as a student in the Netherlands, France, and Norway. A little bit about myself. As a child, I always enjoyed learning a lot about different countries and cultures, and I read a lot. So when I'd be reading, these books would take me to different places in the world. And this is all pre-internet, so we had to do a lot of research and basically reading to see what was going on outside of the United States where I was growing up. I chose to study abroad in high school, again in college, and then in my late 20s when I was in graduate school, I studied abroad again. I had been studying international business, and I just thought that any of these international experiences that I could have would not only be fun, but would also potentially help me as I develop my career. Like I said, I studied international business and then I started working in global positions until one day when my husband came home and said, what would you think about moving to Tokyo? And at that point, it became a whirlwind. It was seven international moves over 13 years. During that time, we also repatriated three times, thinking that we'd be back in the U.S. forever, which obviously didn't happen. And then we also had a child and I evolved from being a very devoted member of corporate America to a business coach and then a life coach for expat partners, which is where I am now. What was your favorite country to live in or your favorite experience while abroad and why? When I'm asked that question, I feel like I'm being asked to pick a favorite child. So it's a little bit challenging, but I think I have to say that it's Japan because we lived there twice for almost a total of seven years. And it's basically a second home to our family. The first time we moved there, it changed the trajectory of my life. All the different experiences I had, the people I met, the travel, learning about the local culture. I had blinders on basically with my career and I wasn't really living a very well-rounded life. So at this point, I decided this is my opportunity to look around and take advantage of all these opportunities that are in front of me as an expat. And I ended up working with a life coach myself who helped me get really honest with who I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. And then at that point, we moved back to the U.S. before I could really make any big changes. And we thought it was going to be forever, but it only lasted about 15 months. Then we moved back to Japan for another job opportunity for my husband. Our daughter was born six weeks later. I added life coaching certification to my business consulting. I left corporate America and I think all of the growth that our family experienced during the nearly seven years that we lived there is really what makes it my favorite. Could you explain what the Expat Partner Coach is? The Expat Partner Coach LLC is a life coaching practice and a community. I support expat partners, sometimes called accompanying spouses, and other international women who want to make the most of their time abroad and also after they repatriate. I left my corporate path to support my family, and so a lot of my clients see that in my history and that attracts them to me. They see that I was able to change my life and figure out what it was that I wanted to do to fulfill me and to give me purpose. I work with these women to try to help them do the same. Most of my clients are virtual, but now that I'm living in Chicago, I have also started a local community of international women where we get together for a sense of community. It's fun to be with people who are like-minded, have like experiences, and also we do a bit of coaching when we're together. 
Some may have an idea of what a life coach is, but could you explain to our listeners what a life coach really does? I actually want to differentiate because there's some people who call themselves life coaches, but there's also certified life coaches. So if you're going to work with someone, it's important to understand what you're looking for. And what I would say about a certified life coach is that they work with strategies and tools to help clients get from where they are today to where they want to be on a high level. That's really what we're doing. So we really believe that the clients all have the information they need within them. And we ask questions to help them dig deep to figure out what it is that they want in their life. So we also identify obstacles that are in their way and help the clients break through those so that they can keep making progress because coaching is all about action. It's not therapy. It's not mentoring. It's really about taking a look at where you want to be and how to get there. Also, I serve as an accountability partner to make sure that that progress continues. And most importantly, I'm there when my clients reach their goals to celebrate with them. What motivated you to become a life coach, specializing in supporting expat partners, expat women, love pats, repats, and internationally minded women? What well, was really an evolution, as I mentioned, a lot of my clients come to me because they see what I have experienced and they feel like they can relate to it. I really decided at some point that all that I've learned and experienced over all of these moves and all of these different experiences, because it hasn't always been easy. There's a misunderstanding that you go off on an expat package or an expat adventure and it's just one big vacation. And that's not the case. I've had to deal with all of the same things that probably all of your listeners are dealing with, but I've had to also deal with them in a different country, different culture, different language. All of that led me to really evolve from wanting to hold on to my corporate career to wanting to really use everything that I have learned and experienced to help other people. I did start out as a business coach because I wanted to keep using all of my corporate experience. But then over time, I really saw that most of my clients, their biggest obstacle in starting their business or growing their business was the challenges they were facing as expat partners. So that's why I decided to shift my focus to really just doing general life coaching for expat partners. And when we had the big earthquake in Tokyo in 2011, that actually solidified the decision because people were under so much stress and anguish and having to make quick decisions that really solidified for me that I had made the right decision to make the shift in my practice. What kind of challenges do expat partners or accompanying spouses who are men encounter that are different from those partners who are women? In general, this is a really overlooked group by traditional corporate relocation packages. I think it's really important to point out that studies have been done that have shown that the biggest cause of an expat failure is that the family does not adapt. And most of the time, that's actually the partner. I think what they're really dealing with here is that the husband goes off to work, the kids, if there are kids in the family, go off to school, and the woman is left to, because it's usually the partners are women, is left to set up life, to adapt, to make sure everybody's happy, to find doctors, make sure the school is a good fit, take care of things back home. A lot of times that is the situation. I think the biggest challenge is that they lose their identity because whatever purpose they had in the US or whatever country they're from, they've set that aside. A lot of times it's very difficult to continue what it was that you were doing. I mean, if it's a paid job, maybe you're able to pick up paid work, but in some countries you can't get a visa to do so. So all of that really hits on someone's self-esteem and can make it very challenging. And like I said, when the family fails, then they often have to go back 
early to their home country. And that is a big expense financially and productivity wise for the corporation. And then also it's a big hit for the family because the employee may not fit back in in the home company. The family may suffer from emotional or mental anguish. Can really be a very challenging situation all around. One thing that I've noticed having worked with and known a few expat partner men is that they face all of the same challenges, but then on top of it, they're often in a situation where they have less of a community because at least expat partners, since they're mostly women, they often can find a community to help them work through the challenges that they may face and feel like they're part of something. But with the men, often they feel that they don't have somebody that is really understanding what they're going through, or there's also the issue of their self-esteem getting hit because in many cultures, the male is expected to be the breadwinner, the big alpha male. And when you're being supported by your wife, some men's self-esteem actually takes a bit of a hit there. We hear about lots of different types of expats these days. Those that move abroad, that move for a traditional job, university students that do a year abroad, those that move for love and global nomads. And that is probably just the short list. Could you tell us more about the different types of expats? It's really a spectrum and people get a little bit hung up on terminology because what I've heard is to me, an expat is someone who has left their country and is living outside of their home country. Other people consider an expat to be someone who is on a formal corporate expat package living abroad. The way I look at it in my mind is we have the students and they are basically kids or like me, when I was in graduate school, I was an adult, but they're sent overseas to study, learn about a culture, have experiences for a set amount of time, and then they go home. And then there's the other group that I look at that's on a formal package, a situation where there's a more of a formal agreement, I should say. So either they're sponsored by a company or by a government. And a lot of times those are set period packages that there's some flexibility around it usually. There's usually some level of support financially. The school may be paid for, trips home may be paid for. But one thing to keep in mind there is that these packages, and from what I've been seeing and in my experience, have also been reduced over time. So now this category of people is becoming a bit smaller from what I've seen. Now, sometimes also when these people on these different packages go overseas, sometimes it becomes an extended package extended time period, or it may be that they are then moved to another country. So they become seasoned expats over time because they're moving from country to country, or they end up staying long-term in the country that they originally went to for three to five years, for example. And then the third category that I look at is really pretty much everybody else. And that's really where the spectrum gets very cloudy because you've got people who move to another country because of their partner. For example, if you are American and you marry somebody from Belgium, then you move to Belgium and all of a sudden you're living there and you're an expat, but you know that this is your new home country and you're planning to stay there forever. So one of the issues there is that it's probably very important to adapt as deeply as you can in that situation versus when you're a student or you know you're going to be dipping in and out for three or five years. It's a bit more of a choice from what I've seen about how much you want to integrate. I, mean, I have my personal opinions about how much you should integrate, but people choose to do it all different ways. 
and back to that others group, you know, you have your love pets, you have people that just decide that they want to live overseas. And this global nomad movement has become a huge thing now. And especially with more companies allowing people to work remotely, I keep reading articles that are saying that this group is really expected to grow as time moves on and as the pandemic lessens. You also work with individuals returning to the U.S. or their home country from an expat experience. Do they have different challenges? Yes and no. I call myself a repeat repat because we've moved back three times. The first two times we thought we were moving back forever and they lasted barely a year and a half. Now this time it's been four years, so it's a new record for our family. But what I've learned over the six times I moved back to the U.S., if you include the times I studied abroad, is that reverse culture shock is real. A lot of times what happens is we expect things to be the same when we go home, but the reality is the people that you used to spend time with, the town you used to live in, and yourself has all changed while you were gone. So it's not the same. And that really brings up a lot of challenges in terms of, are you going to be friends with the same friends? Is the school, if you have a family, is the school going to still be a good fit for your child? Is the home that you had still the home? Are you still happy with your company? There's so many different things that you have to take into consideration when you're moving back home. And I really give advice to people when they're moving home. If you have the awareness that things will be different, it really helps you flow through the whole repatriation process versus being kind of rigid with what you expect to happen when you move back. In your opinion, what personality qualities help to make the experience of being an expat partner more rewarding? And if some of these qualities aren't part of a person's character, what can they do to make the experience more fulfilling? I really think it helps to have a sense of curiosity and adventure because when you move to a new culture, it really helps to go in and really keep an open mind about what you're experiencing and what you're seeing and just experience it without judging it. Because the reality is that there's things that you're going to see that you're going to love and there's going to be things that you're going to find challenging. So that to me is one of the core qualities that can really help someone be an, a successful expat. I also think it helps to be very flexible and adaptable. You know, these all tie together really being flexible because you don't really know what's going to happen on a lower level. For example, I would go to the grocery store to buy ingredients for dinner, but I'd get there and I wouldn't be able to read the label. I wouldn't know what was going on. Sometimes I'd get home and I'd be making something and I would open up a lid and I'd realize I had bought cream cheese instead of sour cream. And these things are going to happen all the time. And so you have to really just be flexible. And then on a high level, and this has happened to my family, you're told that you're going someplace for five to seven years and you end up leaving after two. That sort of situation on a high level also requires a lot of flexibility and adaptability because there's a lot of things that happen when you're living overseas that you can't control. The only thing that you can control in these situations is your attitude. And then also patience, just because things really take a lot longer than you're going to expect. The first time we moved to Japan, it took them two or three months to get internet installed in our apartment. And I was shocked. Well, and I was dismayed because we had just moved there. I really wanted to reach out to people. And I couldn't believe that high tech Tokyo could not give me internet in my apartment for three months. So these are the kind of things that you just have to really learn to be patient with. And also with communication, you have to 
communicate a lot of times when you live overseas in a language that you don't speak fluently. You may be speaking to people that are trying to speak your language, but they don't speak it fluently either. So you need to be patient with others, but you also really need to be patient with yourself because being an expat can be the most rewarding experience and it can also be the most challenging experience. And I think if you are patient with yourself and you just allow yourself to embrace the opportunities and deal with the obstacles as they come your way, then it makes the whole experience so much more worthwhile. In terms of filling the gap when you don't have some of these qualities, I think that finding a community that you fit in with is very helpful. You have to be very willing to reach out for help and advice because if you're not outgoing, but you find some friends that you click with that are outgoing, that can help make your situation a lot more pleasurable. And then also look at it as an experiment. I mean, that's one of the ways that I really got through some of my toughest times as an expat is that I said to myself, nothing is forever. Let me just try these things. I'm outside of my normal life. And what's going to happen? What's the worst thing that can happen? I mean, that's a question I ask myself often, whether I'm living abroad or not. And most of the time I realize that the worst thing that could happen is not all that bad. And it really helps me make progress and move forward. The term trailing spouses is often used to describe expat partners or accompanying spouses. Why do you prefer not to use it? It has a negative connotation. On one hand, I understand where it came from because on a high level, you're saying, well, this is the expat. And I'm assuming it came from the days of the big expat packages. So you would say, this is the expat. He, in most cases, is going off to work. And then the spouse gave up what she was doing and is following along. As we've moved forward in time and as the world has become smaller in that more people feel comfortable moving overseas and travel is less challenging, I think using that term just feeds this false perception that an expat partner is really just sort of following along and on vacation all the time. There's some very funny pictures online of this is what I'm doing and this is what my friends back home think I'm doing. So the picture will be of the woman sitting on the beach, but then the real picture is that she is paying bills and making arrangements for people to come and fix something at her house. So I mean, there's a really big misperception about the role of the expat partner. I would argue that the partner is the core of the expat family or the expat partnership because as I mentioned earlier, as once the kids go to school and the husband goes to work, the partner is typically the one that's handling everything else that comes along, be it positive or negative. Expat partners have a lot to offer. A lot of them are very educated, talented, enthusiastic people that want to either try to work or volunteer or do some other purposeful activity while they're living overseas. By calling them a partner, I feel like it's really giving them the credit that they deserve in terms of how important the role they play is. Along those same lines, a lot of times it's really the partner who's keeping the family together and going and also keeping the connections with family and friends back home. So it's a big job. I don't think it deserves to be called trailing. Do you feel that more or less Americans are moving abroad these days and why? I think time will tell. Given what's going on with the pandemic, I'm reading a lot of articles that are saying that with the flexible work situation that a lot of companies are offering, that may make a lot more people feel that they can move overseas and work from abroad. 
there's the big global nomad movement that I'm reading all over Facebook and in articles and that sort of thing. The one thing that I will repeat is that I'm seeing fewer quote unquote big expat packages being offered by companies. In the old days, they would include education for your kids, trips back home, your housing allowance. And a lot of times, or sometimes the expat partners would even be given an allowance to further their education or do whatever they want for personal development. But now a lot of these packages, they're not getting cost of living adjustment. They're only getting maybe the school and the housing paid, but none of the other the home leave trips and that sort of thing. So I am seeing fewer packages. And then at the same time, I'm also seeing more repatriations from people who were on a corporate package living overseas during the pandemic. So I do think we're going to have to wait and see how everything shakes out with the pandemic and what companies decide to do and then what individuals also decide to do. How has the COVID-19 pandemic affected your work? It's increased the need, actually. One thing we have to keep in mind is there are a lot of countries who are not as far along as the U.S. with vaccinations. So I've had clients that are on lockdown and have been on lockdown for a long time that are really struggling. Some of them have moved just before the pandemic, so they didn't really have a chance to create a local network and they're stuck in their apartment, basically. There's been a bigger need from that standpoint. And then also, as I mentioned, there's been more repatriation. So I've had quite a few clients that are repatriating unexpectedly after many years overseas or fewer years than expected. It doesn't really matter. It's still a big change. And so they reach out for support in that situation. Also, I've been working virtually since the beginning to some extent. With the pandemic, that hasn't really made a big difference for me because I'm already used to connecting with clients virtually. What's your best piece of advice you would give to someone who's about to move abroad with their partner or on their own? The biggest piece of advice that I would give is that people need to focus on communication when they're going through the decision-making process. There's a lot of decisions that have to be made, but sometimes you have to make decisions quickly. It can be difficult to separate what it would be like to vacation somewhere versus what it would be like to live somewhere. So I really encourage people to step out and visit the place that they would potentially be living in advance if that's possible. In many cases it is, sometimes it's not. I think in either situation, it's important to also connect with locals. There are different groups that you can go online on forums. There's many Facebook pages where you can ask questions and connect with locals to really understand what it would truly be like to live in your host country. And the second bit of advice is to be realistic because I think a lot of times people find out that they have an opportunity to move overseas and they're picturing the vacation and they're not being realistic about what it would be like to actually live in that location. So you have to think about things what are you used to in your home country and what would you be doing in your host country? When we moved to London, my first thought was, I'm living in central London and I can't wait to be walking to Piccadilly Circus and that sort of thing. But the reality was because of where my husband's job was located and where my daughter's school was located, we had to live in West London, which ended up being fabulous. But that was really a key issue for me when we were making the decision. So you really have to get your values and your priorities in alignment and then be very realistic about what the situation will be. Again, I mentioned that I asked my clients to really focus on what they can control. 
And a lot of things in a host country you can't control. So it's important to know what they are and how you feel about them before you make the decision to move overseas. Thank you, Linda, for taking the time to join us today. Thank you, Michelle. I appreciate your time. The American Citizens Abroad podcast is a monthly podcast that is published the second Tuesday of each month. It is edited and produced by me, Michelle, and is a product of American Citizens Abroad. You can find us on Twitter at ACA underscore podcast, on Facebook at American Citizens Abroad podcast, or you can email us at podcast at americansabroad.org. Remember, give us a good rating on Apple Podcasts so other Americans living abroad can find us.